assessing not only the real estate aspects of a specific transaction, but the people involved in those transactions and how they want to accomplish this process, whatever process you're getting into, is step number one. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's... The interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best a lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Dave Solman. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. So fun to be with you. Ben. Thank you. Yeah, nice to have you back on the show. And best ever listeners, first and foremost, I hope you're having a best ever Sunday. And because today is Sunday, we got a special segment for you called Skill Set Sunday. You're going to walk away from this episode with a particular skill that you can hone if you already have it or you can acquire if you don't got it already. And the skill we're going to be talking about today is how to be a productive, proactive person who's got a vision for what's about to happen. And we're not talking some mystical stuff. We're talking about practical things you can do in your life to make that happen. And we're going to be talking to a previous best ever guest. Dave is on episode 1168 titled How to Have Your Tenants Pay taxes, insurance, and what's the rest of that title? Maintenance. Maintenance. Thank you, sir. A little bit about Dave. He is the founder and CEO of Generation Income Properties, which is a public net lease REIT. He's managed more than 1,000 single-tenant net lease transactions and has been involved in about $10 billion worth of transactions based in Florida, so before we dive into it, Dave, you want to give the best ever listeners just a refresher of your background? 
Absolutely. So I am the founder and CEO of a public real estate investment trust called Generation Income Properties, as you mentioned. And we focus on net lease properties throughout the country, typically in the top 20 highest density cities in the United States. I also founded a brokerage firm that helps people buy and sell triple net lease investments throughout the country. And that's where my background started in this very niche product type. And lastly, I am one of the founders of a algorithm that focuses on triple net lease valuation and using actual metrics and data and really trying to quantify subjectivity as it comes to the valuation of net lease properties. And that company is called Verum, which is Latin for truth. So that's my immediate background and where I spend the majority of my time. So with these things, clearly you've accomplished a lot, are continuing to accomplish things and performing at a high level. So walk us through the background for today's conversation, because with this show, I do do returning guests, but I always do a special segment with them, and that is either Skill Set Sunday or Situation Saturday. And I know when you and I were talking prior to this recording, you talked about the background for the focus of today's episode and where it's coming from. So can you talk about that? A lot of people ask me, they say, you do so much. You're so productive. Like, How do you manage running three companies? How do you manage the staff that comes along with that? How do you manage the people and the tasks at hand and writing books and being published and speaking around the country? And how do you get all of this done? And in my mind, it's become very simple, but I understand from an outsider's perspective, it seems pretty unique. And the basis of my background or the skill set that I think that I've developed over the years comes from my time before real estate, which is when I worked at the White House. And at the White House, it's a very fast-paced environment. You have to think quickly. You have to think accurately for the most time. And you just have to be on top of everything all the time. And politics aside, so we won't get into a political discussion or which president I work for, but every staffer, which is what I was, every staffer who works at the White House either has or has developed the skill set where they can accomplish a lot in a very short amount of time. I was on the president's advanced staff, which is a position at the White House that most people don't know about. And it's where you travel before the president anywhere in the world up to a week or two weeks ahead of where they go, and you establish the political logistics of their trip. In essence, who they're going to meet with, where they're going to meet, who will be in the room, what it will look like on TV, and sometimes the content of their meeting. And you prepare all of this for the president before he arrives. So when the president does arrive at any place in the world, you typically meet them at the Air Force One. He walks down the stairs and you start briefing them on exactly what they'll be doing on that trip and who will be with them. And you've had all of this preparation for a week or two beforehand to educate yourself, which in turn allows you to very quickly and accurately brief the president on what he'll be doing on that trip. So you have to develop the skill set 
to be ahead of yourself and everyone else and always think of every contingency that could happen in any scenario. And on top of that, being prepared for it. Hmm. What type of training is involved to have that skill set? There's no formal training. It's not like you study this in school. I didn't study political science. I didn't study law. I learned this skill set by being around people who demand this sort of level of service within their lives. So you typically start at a very low position when you're at the White House where they don't put you anywhere near the president, but you're just working for the people who are near the president. And you develop that skill set by watching what they're doing over a period of time. So it's just helpful to completely think at any task at hand as not at what's immediately in front of you, but what you're ultimately trying to accomplish and who are the different players involved and what their roles are in each aspect of that plan. When you're watching people over a period of time when you're starting out, what were some things that you picked up on? That's a great question. A lot of times we're putting a lot of effort and emphasis into aspects of our lives or aspects of our work that isn't important to the big scheme of things. And so example of that, one of my first assignments was working at the White House was working with the media. And so a lot of people don't know that literally wherever the president goes at any point in his day, there is always media involved because it's deemed that the president is creating history from any aspect of their lives. So from a state dinner to visiting a foreign country to doing a a speech on a specific policy event to going to play golf or going for a run, that's all considered history. So there's media with him all the time. Even while the president's sleeping, there's someone at the White House to report on any events that may occur at the White House that directly affect the president. And so one of the first jobs that I was assigned to was to work with the media and to see how they go about reporting what's happening, both from a video perspective and then they call them pencils, people who are writers where they don't have a camera in hand. They're just writing down what's happening. And it was my job to coordinate the movements of the press because everything is very coordinated. So being in a room with some of the well-known media outlets throughout the world and with people who you'd recognize by TV appearances all the time forced me to be in a position to be ahead of them all the time. So what are they trying to accomplish by being in this room with the president right now? What is the story that is coming across with the words that the president is using? And what is the angle of the photograph that that photographer is trying to make? And what's the background of that photograph? And who else is in that picture with the president? And what message are you trying to convey with this particular presidential appearance? So my job was to think about all of those things. So as the media moved with the president, that they were capturing the story in which they were trying to accomplish. Mm. When you internalize that and then you apply it, what are some things that you do to influence it one direction or the other? You know, I still use all of those skills in my real estate practices today. So let's take a net lease transaction, for instance. 
I figured out at one point that there could be as many as 23 different people involved in any one transaction, everyone having a different role within that transaction. So whether you're the buyer, the seller, the attorney, the engineer, the surveyor, the title person, whoever you are within that transaction, that you have a role. And from a brokerage perspective, it's the broker's job to coordinate that entire transaction, that entire effort. So transferring those skills of being ahead and coordinating people, truly being a leader within that and making sure everyone's accomplishing their job with the end goal in mind is to complete that transaction is something that I've transferred very easily to the real estate market. So over my time, as I developed my skills at the White House, I was promoted to different positions where I ultimately became what they call a lead advanced person, meaning that I would not only just be part of the media, but I would control the entire trip and having conversations directly with the White House beforehand and reporting back to make sure that our efforts on the day of the president's arrival are extremely coordinated and well-documented. So not only would I have to work with the president's White House political staff, but I would also have to work with the president's security, which is the Secret Service, and also with the United States military, which came with different roles, a lot of it being communication with the United States Army, with air transportation, with the Air Force or the Marines. And as the lead advance person, it's your job to make sure that everyone is completing their task at hand. So the organizational effort that goes into any movement that the president has is extremely time consuming, but at the same time, extremely detailed. So it really looks effortless when the president's doing what he's doing, but in the background, there's dozens and dozens of people who are involved in every effort he's doing. As the lead advance person, it's my job to control each one of those efforts and to make sure that the president is doing exactly what we have planned for him to do at that point. With bringing it back to real estate like you did and the 23 different people in a transaction, one thing you mentioned is you want to recognize there are lots of people in a transaction, 23, in the case that you were looking at and then understand the role that each person is trying to accomplish. What if there is a person, one of those 23, that you know the role they're trying to accomplish? You could just look that up on Google or something. What is this person's role? But the way they're going about it is perceived to you as they are sabotaging the process or they're just incompetent then you know what they're looking to accomplish, ideally, but they're just not going in the direction you want it to go. I found in my career that it's better, and I'll just be very frank about this, is to call those people out directly. I choose to handle things privately in the first instance and a very reasonable professional conversation, pinpointing that person and letting them know that I understand what they're doing is not accretive to this process. And I hope that we can change things and maybe give them suggestions on how to change them. And if that doesn't work, then essentially we bring it out into the collective good of those 23 people or so, or I should say up to 23 people and letting them know where the weak link is in this process. Just so everyone's aware that I have identified it, I'm trying to work on it, and that it's not, in using your words, sabotaging the entire process. And everyone else 
typically can be a professional about it and realize that there is a weak link, but we're working around it. And I've had to do that many times in my career. Not everyone has the best of intentions, although we go into it hoping that they do. But I've been in positions where I learned this trait by traveling throughout the world in every country that I would attend is a negotiation point, and there's different styles of negotiation. For instance, when we were negotiating with the Chinese government on the president's trip to China, the Chinese nationals are extremely shrewd negotiators. They are excellent and expert negotiators on the different aspects of what we were trying to accomplish within that trip. And we have to be able to communicate well, not only with our own team, because now we're dealing with a whole other set of circumstances, which is an entire national government. So being able to fluidly get through this process and being ahead of what we are perceiving to be issues was always very helpful. So when the president does arrive and or when a transaction does happen, these issues have already been dealt with. How did you and team come to a satisfactory conclusion or agreement in that scenario with the Chinese nationals, knowing that, to use your words, they're excellent negotiators? Well, understanding who you're working with beforehand is probably step number one. Assessing your situation, knowing what environment you're going into is extremely important because real estate specifically, and we'll get back to negotiating with the Chinese government, but real estate specifically is a very dynamic industry. Uh, Properties right next door to each other each have their own dynamics, their own circumstances, different owners, different values, different surveys. There's differences even in properties right next to each other. And so assessing not only the real estate aspects of a specific transaction, but the people involved in those transactions and how they want to accomplish this process, whatever process you're getting into, is step number one. Relating that to our work with, in this case, the Chinese national government, is we knew up front that they are shrewd negotiators. And now here we are as Americans in a foreign country, and therefore you have typically lower leverage in which to negotiate because you're not on your homeland. You don't have your own people surrounding you. And I'm not saying that from a very polarizing perspective. It's just there's a reason that there's different countries. Everyone has their own cultures and their way that they go about doing business. And so we weren't in the United States anymore. So I had the ability to prepare for my time in China by learning their cultures and the way that they do business and how someone in the Chinese government may respond to a request that we have. And being prepared for that up front just goes back to the thesis of doing your advance work, being prepared and knowing what you're getting into before you start. So the key is to learn the culture, learn who you're going to be working with, and then approach accordingly. Absolutely. And that's something that I think has allowed me to run currently is knowing the different people and the different scenarios that we'll be involved with in any stage of our development and growth. Now we'll bring it back to real estate. When you're doing research on who you're going to be working with or negotiating with, what questions should you be asking yourself and what type of research should you be compiling? Almost like an attorney, not quite like an attorney, but almost like an attorney, 
you want to be prepared for everything. So if you're going into a transaction, you want to know exactly what your end result should be, or what you want it to be. And before you start that transaction, before you start that negotiating, before you start your first offer on that property, because usually there's a negotiation with any real estate transaction and, and everyone's trying to get a good deal. Both sides are always trying to get the best deal for themselves. But what is your walk away point? Where can you say this just doesn't make sense anymore? And having that upfront in your brain, in a spreadsheet, however you're structuring your own underwriting, is paramount to the process. To know what your walkaway point is and then be prepared for everything. But I mean, everything's pretty broad. Well, it is broad by definition. So I'm going to use some stupid examples so you can rein me in a little bit. Do they like Fruity Pebbles or do they eat oatmeal for breakfast? I mean, what exactly should we look at? What are the most important things we look Because we'll go insane if we try to be prepared for everything and know mm -hmm. everything about yeah, this that's person. Fair. So. That's fair. So you're ultimately ending up at a price. So you, you should come starting with what's your walk away price. And I've made several mistakes early in my career where I was not prepared to understand what the value of a specific property would be and purchasing that property at the wrong price. So when it came time to exit that property for whatever the reason, you can lose money or not make money. And so price is first. The people involved, everyone says that real estate is a very people-centered business or relationship business. And developing those relationships over a period of time is important to the growth of yourself and your connections, but knowing the people involved. And, and let's get specific about that. Some people, like I mentioned, are shrewd negotiators, and you just know that everything that you're going to do with this one particular person may be a negotiation. Other people may see the bigger picture, and they'll say, listen, I'm willing to leave a few dollars on the table in order to get this transaction done quickly, because that case, I can get my money back and invest in the next project, and I'll make a few dollars there. And over time, in aggregate, I've made a lot of money. So there's different types of people, some who are looking for the last penny and others who are cycling through deals pretty regularly. In my case, we work with attorneys on every single transaction. There's always an attorney involved. And having an attorney who's a deal maker while also protecting your interests is also really important. Sometimes the attorneys I work with are not licensed in different states in which I work. So we need to find other counsel in different markets. And that forces us to start that vetting process all over again of finding that deal maker who's also protecting us. So these are just several examples of how to assess the everything that I mentioned, but getting granular about the different aspects of the transaction is something that you just learn over time, but having to be prepared for each one of those. Anything else you want to mention as it relates to we talked about two skill sets. You, you gave us a bonus one. Thank you for that. One is being a productive, proactive person. And two is negotiating tips. Yeah. Just to go back to the original topic we just started discussing, which was being ahead of yourself all the time. I really can't stress this enough of how important it is and how productive you can be 
by giving yourself the chance and the ability to not just be productive, but being overly productive to a point where people are not only shocked by how much you're able to accomplish, but impressed. And that leads people to be attracted to the work that you're doing and how you're approaching these different situations. And people use phrases like time management or organizational skills or all of these catchphrases that we try to adopt in our lives at at different points. But in my opinion, the real way to handle multiple tasks at one time is just to think way ahead. Be a slave to your calendar and think about the different people that are involved in each aspect. Communicate what you're trying to accomplish with each one of these goals that you've set and implementing those goals through that work. So multifaceted, for sure. Not something that's easily adopted or easily learned, but something that over the years, I won't say I'll ever be an expert in this, but I'll say that I'm able to educate others on how I go about accomplishing a lot with little time in my life. Mm -hmm. Great advice. And I will attempt to summarize here in a second. But first, how can best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can reach me by email, and you can get that through my website, which is G-I-P-R-E-I-T.com, Generation Income Properties, REIT.com, and happy to discuss any of these topics with anyone at any point. Outstanding. So G-I-P-R-E-I-T.com, correct? That's it. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thank you for being on the show and giving us insight into how you've gotten some skills that you've used to get to where you're at and how we can apply those skills in our own lives as real estate entrepreneurs. One, the first skill we talked about is being ahead of yourself, as you call it, and everyone else, quite frankly, most likely, and by how we can apply that in our life moving forward is, one, think way ahead, and when we think way ahead, we need to have a vision for what we ultimately are trying to accomplish. And then we need to think of the people who are involved in that process, put together a plan and communicate the plan of what we're trying to accomplish while being calendar-centric to make sure we're staying on point. Well summarized. Well, thank you, sir. And with negotiating, the most important thing we've got to identify before entering into any negotiation is... What is our walkaway price? Because without that, we might get caught up in a whirlwind of stuff that might seem relevant at the time, but ultimately it's not if we're not getting our walkaway price, or I imagine terms too. You'd probably throw in price and terms in case they give us crazy good terms and the price might be able to be compensated for that. Is that accurate? Very fair, yes. Cool. Well, thank you for being on the show. I hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show, 
as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.